Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon, and as you know, I'm your host and your guide. And I love to go looking for people who are going to help you see, feel, and think in new ways so you can get off the brink. Our job is to help you soar again. That's often difficult in fast-changing times, and I'm watching Mark Sam will shake his head, and these are very fast-changing times. I used to tell my clients, because I specialize in helping organizations change or adapt to change, I used to say that if you want to change, have a crisis or create one, and I never wanted to see a crisis like we're coming out of, but we're coming out of it. The problem as we come out of the post-pandemic period is that people are unsettled. The habits are gone. They don't quite know what's going on. They were attached to what they knew and they don't know what's coming next. They want to go back, but you can't go back. So how do we go forward? And often the solution is to assemble the team. The team can take us. The leader can manage that team better. So today I'm going to bring you Mark Samuel, who's written now six books on teams. And we're going to talk about lots of things. So I'm going to tell you a little bit. This is his newest book, Reimagine Teams. Pretty clever. And it's not that big, so you can actually read it. But what's really more important is what he's going to help you understand. A little bit about him. He's the founder and CEO of Impact, served as a thought leader for developing accountable leaders and creating accountable organizations. That word accountable should not be underestimated. He's done it for over 35 years, the author of five books, as I mentioned, the best-selling B-State, A New Roadmap for Bold Leadership, Brave Culture and Breakthrough Results. I like his Bs. This book is written with Sarah Samuel, a writer and copy editor for Impact. And he may tell you a little bit about who Sarah is. But this is a time for us to think in new ways about what we've always assumed. So I want you to think about your team. What teams do you belong to in your organization, outside of the organization? Think about what you did as a kid growing up. Did you play on the baseball team, the kickball team? What was the team and why was it important? And now I'm going to introduce you to Mark Samuel, who I'm going to ask to tell you about his own journey so you know who he is. And then we'll get to the teaming and what he's doing now to reimagine teams. Mark, who are you? What's your journey all about? <laughs> well, thanks, Andy. That was a wonderful introduction. And, and you're so spot on around talking about change. My background is that I came from teams in a sense. I mean, I started in baseball teams, then it went to music groups. Um, then my daughter was involved with acting and that I looked at as a team. So I've, I've had all these experiences with teams. And then when I got into graduate school, my focus was on teams. Was, I was taught by one of the top professors, uh, Dr. Mar uh, Dr. Newton Margulies from UC Irvine. And he was a practitioner, not just a theorist. So he was excellent at building teams and was wonderful. But what I discovered along the way on my journey and my path was that the ways that I was taught to build teams in school and university actually didn't work as well <laughs> as expected. And that's when I had to relook and reimagine what is teams all about. And that's when I drew upon my sports and my yep. music background. 
the epiphany that you had was a very, and as you write about it, I said, this is important to share. How do we have an epiphany, an aha moment where we're not going to do more of the same because it's not working, but what could work? What would you see? So tell the listener or the viewer, what happened to make you say, stop? This is an old way of doing things. It's not working anymore, but what does work? What was the moment? Well, it was an, an it was a very distinct moment where I was getting great evaluations on my team building. I just worked with an executive team, came back three months later to meet with the uh, CEO. And as I'm going down the hall, I'm getting people that uh, were on the team, the other executives, and they're literally coming up and hugging me and saying, oh, that was wonderful. I had the best experience. It was so good. It changed my life. And I, I go, great. My head is getting bigger. I was quite young at the time. And I'm feeling just on top of the world. And then I ask a very innocent question, which is, oh, and how's the team doing? And they go, oh, well, the team is just as dysfunctional as it ever was. Boy, it was a great experience for me. And everyone loved your session. And, and literally, my, my heart just stopped. Like, I, I literally became so discouraged and depressed in that moment. I was in shock. And again, as young as I was at that time, for me, it was, if I'm not going to be effective at what we're doing, then I'm getting out of this. Like, I, I don't belong in this business if I can't get a better result. I, I was really took it that seriously. And, um, you know, and again, I, I was glad that people got whatever value they did, but my purpose was building the team. <laughs> well, you know, hold the thought for a moment because it is to build the team, but what you heard and saw was that the effectiveness of the team wasn't improving. They built a team, but it was still dysfunctional. What an interesting commentary yes. on well done, but not right. And, and I have several leadership academies, and I find it interesting because we're working on teams and teaming. But but there's a mythology around team about how you, you know, storm it and how you norm it and how you build it. And, and that's become <laughs> sort of and but you say, but does it work? What are we trying to achieve here? What did you discover? I discovered that the focus on relationships were great. It certainly built better relationships. Didn't mean they were more effective as a team and didn't mean that they their execution as a team was any better. And when execution breaks down, then eventually it's going to affect your relationships because you can't count on each other, uh, the true meaning of accountability, and you can't eventually trust anyone because not that we don't have relationship trust. See, that's the thing about trust that's so interesting. There's relationship trust, which I like you. We can have dinner together. We can socialize together. But what's different is execution trust, where I can count on you to keep commitments, keep agreements, come through on time, communicate with me, include me in a decision that affects me. That's execution trust, very different than relationship trust. But it almost sounds abstract. It's so interesting because if it was a baseball team, I mean, I've been watching the Mets win and I'm willing to stay up till 10 o'clock at night to watch that team really team up. What fun yes. I'm having, right? Yeah. Um, a little different or a musical orchestra that plays great music. And how do they all do that? Well, they do it as a team. So what goes on in business where we can't see or hear the music? or see the hits? What, what is it that's so interesting about business where we can talk about a team but not play like one? 
Oh, that's a great question. And, and there is one huge difference, whether you're talking about sports, baseball is an example, or music. The way we learn to team is on the field, yes. not off the field. Oh, I love that. On yeah. the, yes, you right. Got to get on the field. Got to get in the rehearsal hall. And it's playing with each other that actually not only builds the execution, but also builds the relationships yes. because we're working together and communicating, but it's real time, real life. It's not, oh, let's talk about the theory of communicating. We're actually having to communicate to play with each other. And we don't do that in organizations. Organizations will tell you, but Mark, we don't have downtime. We're always in the game. We don't have that off time. And I'm saying, what do you think you're doing in meetings? Yes. Meetings, you're not serving customers. Meetings, oh, I know what we're doing. We're talking about status updates, sharing information. But why aren't we practicing our execution in our meetings by surfacing and solving problems, making decisions, moving things forward, talking about what didn't work just the same way as we would do that in a music group or a, or a uh, athletic team? So in a sense, metaphorically, not necessarily in fact, and whether it's remote or in person, asynchronous or otherwise, that gathering of time has to have a new purpose. Yes. It isn't simply to gather. When I, I joined Montefiore Medical Center as an executive uh, oh, a long time ago, and I was fascinated because I came out of banking and in financial services, I'm not quite sure the meetings had more purpose, but we did have an agenda and we usually had takeaways and some things that we were going to do. But in healthcare, they just attended and the meeting had no agenda and no takeaways. And I left wondering, what was it there for? What is my purpose to be there? And, and I, I heard what was going on, but now what? What, what is this? A, simply a communication methodology of sharing stuff. Um, and to your point, but I wasn't savvy enough to know that this is dysfunctional. Um, it was the way we did things. So how do we turn meetings into something which is more like a baseball team practicing to win than it is simply to appear and be seen? Is that well, what we're trying to do? Yeah, I mean, it, and it, what's so interesting is when you're going to hear the answer, it becomes so obvious. We all want to be successful. And the only thing basically that keeps us from being successful are the challenges and obstacles along the way. Why don't we make meetings about surfacing and solving those obstacles? Anything that's going to get in the way of us being successful is what we talk about and resolve, not based on one person's agenda or politics or, you know, hierarchy, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's we've got problems that are getting, keeping us from being successful. Let's remove those. And quite honestly, I look at that as the role of, of leadership in particular. Leadership teams need to be focused on removing obstacles so the people that report to them can get their work done successfully. I bet you have some illustrative cases that you can share. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> It, what, to me, the most the 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 ones that become the most uh, obvious are the breakdowns between departments that are currently siloed, off working on their own, and now they have to come together. This can be in a, a medical center, it could be in a manufacturing facility. It doesn't matter. But any time the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, and there's a breakdown, we need to surface it. And and it's all about coordination. It's all about 
uh, communication, but not just communication in terms of information flow. It's communication to let people know changes, what's going on, where are their difficulties that we need to let each other know ahead of time. This all happens, by the way, in music groups and, and sports teams all the time. They're literally practicing that. So in, in a way, organizations need to do the same thing, whether it's a, a breakdown of, hey, you know, I just heard of one the other day where uh, a department was implementing a new change and didn't tell the other departments until the email came out. And none, all the leaders were caught off guard. It was like, <laughs> I don't even happened. know how to talk about this or answer any questions because I wasn't made aware of this ahead of time. And it's such a simple thing. And yet it constantly happens. Why does it happen? I mean, I'm thinking about all the companies I work with and I'm working with now. It would seem simple to ensure that everybody knows what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, to discuss some of the obstacles that are going to be faced and how to ensure that <laughs> why ever we're, why the, the point of what we're doing has purpose and actually gets done, as opposed to creates chaos, which sounds like this is what happened here. But why don't we think about it? How do you change it? Well, it's it's actually, and interestingly enough, this might surprise you, but it actually has to do with the word accountability and what we're accountable for. Because organizations have become accountable for activity, getting things done, doing things, rather than the outcome of what are we trying to accomplish by the doing of it. And so in a sense, that department checked it off the list. We did it. We created the change. We communicated it. That's part of the checkoff. It wasn't outcome driven to what's actually going to make this change successful for everybody. They weren't thinking of that. They were only thinking of my job is to do something. And when you then add in the silo behaviors that I'm not really thinking about my impact on others, I'm only thinking about what I need to do, what's on my plate and the activities then it, it, it's a formula for disaster because I'm not going to communicate it. I'm not going to be thinking about the result of it and what's going to set everybody up for success. And that's where we have to shift our thinking around accountability. I'm not accountability. I'm not accountable for doing things. I'm accountable for accomplishing something that's greater than my department, greater than my function. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, 
Where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. I love what you're talking about. It's so timely. But tell me, how do you make that happen? I'm anxious to pick your brain because the skills that we bring to our clients uh, sometimes get stale, but more often we uh, we love to learn what others have done effectively. So help me help my clients. What has worked well for you? Well, and again, there's actually a simple answer that we're not doing. And that is that when you start, this is actually in some respects, a middle management issue, not a senior man. And senior managers, they're meeting together all the time. Middle managers don't have a purpose as a team. They're there to support their, you know, uh, executive and, and optimize their department. But that's not actually true. What we need to do is bring middle managers together, make them a team responsible for the organization's excellence and culture, because they're the bridge between direction and getting it done. So, but they don't have a, a common purpose. Yeah. Unless you're a team. So what we do is we actually get middle managers, even this is going to confront a whole nother philosophy around teams, which gets into size. But we sometimes will bring in even 40 to 50 people in a room, but create a common purpose of what we're about as a middle management leadership team that now becomes um, overriding compared to our just our functional area. We become in service to something greater, which is the whole organization, but we do it as a team. And we make that purpose, operational excellence and culture. Don't you love it? It's just so timely and important. Um, Amy Edmondson's work on teaming though, raises some interesting questions about what, exactly what you're saying. Cause I love, if we don't have a purpose among those managers that shared, there's no game we're playing together. I don't know whether I'm hitting the ball or catching the ball, right? I don't know how my, my efforts affect yours. Amy talks a lot about teaming across departments, similar to what you're talking about. Um, but you don't talk about it as action called teaming. You're talking about team. But I have a hunch there's behavior modification here as well. What kind of behaviors change as this middle management team emerges? I think it's important to visualize it. Absolutely. And and this is where the focus that we've been having in many several books out right now on habits, you know, atomic habits and individual habits. But the problem with those with that concept is it's focused on individual habits. And when you really look at baseball teams, football teams, music groups, basketball teams, doesn't matter, acting, they're actually developing team habits. It's how do you turn a double play? It's how do you transition from one piece of the music to another? That's a team habit where we're all listening, we're all cooperating, we're all communicating. We create team habits around how do we surface and solve problems together? How do we make decisions in a, in a timely manner, but an inclusive manner? How do we uh, set criteria for what success looks like? How do we even 
Um, make sure that we're communicating with one voice. By the way, that one habit is the biggest game changer for culture of anything I've ever worked with before. When you get the whole team deciding how do we communicate, when do we communicate, and how will we respond to questions and concerns in a common way? But you know how hard that is? This is, I mean, I'm a culture change expert and it's all in the story. I worked with a company, they brought their 12 leaders there. They each had a different story about what the culture was there. Right. What they did, I said, ah, oh, okay, where do we start? Because you're all you're all leading in different, it's, you know, there's right. one octopus running in different directions because you haven't shared a common story. And if you're going to change the culture, and now we need to craft that new, how are we doing, what are we doing, where are we doing, and it has to fit into those corporate, the, the top-level strategy as yes. well as what you would like people to actually do. This is just so timely and important. Um, other thoughts? Well, can I give you an example? In healthcare, I was working with a medical center. The leadership team needed to make some changes. The resistance came from physicians. And as you know, that's a tough cookie to crack. I mean, first of all, they don't work for the medical center. They're, they, they're independent. They work in con- conjunction with And they had some very loud, aggressive physicians who were always resistant to change. And when we implemented this speak with one voice, they all then started to recognize what were those, what was the resistance? And instead of reacting to it, they planned ahead of time how they would respond. Literally in three months from being so unified, that resistance went completely away. Don't you love it? So you actually got them to change. It shocked me, actually. I didn't know that that would be as powerful as it was, but it was amazing. And when you say, you know, speak with one voice, I'm curious about the support for that. Um, How did did you meet? Did they meet often? Did did they reinforce it through communication channels? What were some of the methodologies? Because typically you agree and then you go off on your own and every day you remember what you thought you were going to do and the voice gets diluted into many voices. Yes. Do that. Well, we created a team habit and a team habit is really a process of behaviors. Mm -hmm. So it has an order to it. And and they had a wonderful team habit that said, we're going to understand, you know, we're all going to message this together, you know, and we're all going to agree on the message. And then we're going to brainstorm what's the ideal way to have the greatest impact on our audience. Do we do it through written? Do we do it verbally? Do both? So they literally strategized communication based, you know, I always tell groups, just to interrupt my own story for a second, the purpose of communication is never to share information. Never. The purpose of communication is to manage the response you get from the information you're sharing. Yes. <laughs> and that's a whole mindset change because now it's not just about getting information out. So they're looking at how do we get the best response and then anticipated what the resistance would be and how they would respond. Well, and, and here's a trick that, that was going on there. And that was that if a physician didn't like what they heard, they'd go to another manager to get a different story. <laughs> now, when they went around that person, they got the same story. 
They even got the same article that referenced (laughs) why they were making the change. And the person said, okay, I already got this article from this other guy. Stop it already. I'll just cooperate. (laughs) But let's talk a little bit more. And then we can wrap in a moment. Because behavior modification isn't easy. And I don't care. I tell people, I don't care if it's a, uh, you're going on to Weight Watchers to lose weight or you're going to exercise every day because it's essential for your well-being um, or you're going to even change your calendar so you have a gratitude diary at the end of the day. Uh, the habits are powerful. Your brain hates the unfamiliar. It would much rather do what it's always done. It has a story in there. That's truth. That story isn't true, but in your mind, that illusion of reality is your reality. And so consequently, anything on the outside just interrupts it, and your your amygdala deletes it, it hijacks it. Right. right. This isn't personal. This is human. And consequently, team habits are a great concept because you got to get everyone's mind to see the same story and to share the same reality in a way that you're all going to behave in a different fashion and you're going to help each other with the behavior modification. Some thoughts. Yes. And and you brought up something that's to me so important. It goes back to my days. I, I, I'm a perpetual dieter <laughs> since I was a kid. But I'll tell you, it's always easier to stick to the diet when my family is doing the same diet than when I'm eating boring chicken and broccoli and they're eating pizza. Just doesn't work the same way. The same is true in an organization. The one thing that's great is they become a support system for each other because it's a team habit, not an individual. An individual, I'm isolated. Team, I've got, we're all struggling with the same habit. So there's a bit of forgiveness in that and a, and a camaraderie of you can do it and support and encouragement. But there's one other factor, and it really goes back to my accountability days. And that is, we never plan for perfection. We always plan for proactive recovery. Good. And so we're never worried about us not being perfect in the new habit. We've already set up recovery plans for when we get off track, how do we gently get back on track in a supportive way without allowing too much time? I always tell people when I'm dieting, my problem has always been my recovery plan has been about two or three years. You need to have a one-day recovery plan, and then every diet will work. (laughs) Oh, you and poor diets. um, The the challenges humans have, all of us do, but it's... um, it's. I, I once saw a great quote, I think from Mary Barr, that said, it isn't the destination, it's the journey. And I do think that uh, managing leading organizations are journeys where you have lots of people and you're trying to get them to uh, see where you're going and know that you're going to have detours along the way and keep moving forward. But I love the concept of team habits. So we're going to reimagine teams. Two or three things you want the audience not to forget. Let's wrap us up with some good insights. Yeah. First of all, when you come together as a team, don't be thinking about the problems of today. Create what would be ideal in an optimal way a year from now. Think in terms of a year and and discuss it not based on styles, not based on... Think of it in terms of what outcomes. What's the reputation we want to have as leaders or as a department in terms of how we're supporting the big, the greater organization and make it future focused so that we can all align to what we want. And in a practical way, not just a philosophical, whatever, it's got to be practical for that 
the challenges of that organization. Um, Good. Now, don't let's emphasize that. You know, at the end of the day, the teams don't exist to be nice. They exist to have good execution, to be accountable. You use words accountable. I love execution. We got to get the outcomes. You got to get it done. Yes. There's something going on now you'll recognize that isn't working well. You're never quite sure why because you're doing your job, but what's going on that's not happening (laughs) so that somehow we're a great organization, but it's not going where we want to go. Yes. So let's assume all the people there are good people. They're skilled at what they do, but they're just not collaboratively. So to use your analogy, if you don't practice the team habit of a double play, when the ball comes to you on the field, you stop and think about where to throw it, as opposed to sending it right to second so it goes to first and you got your double play. How many times are you going to play that over and over and over and over again in your head before you start the game to know if the ball comes to you, that's where it goes. It's a habit. And the team knows that they're going to move to the base to pick it up. And it isn't thought about. And I'm a golfer. It told me that 749 times I have to hit the ball before my mind stops interrupting it. And it becomes a habit. I haven't hit the 749th yet. but, but, But that mind gets in the way every time. And so yes. we've got to make it into that new uh, habit. And so the amygdala that doesn't hijack it, it makes it say, ah, oh, little oxytocin said, oh, that was wonderful. How we yes. bond. Right. This yes. is cool. Mark, if they want to get your book or they want to reach you consulting, what kind of things do you offer people? Well, we offer lots of articles that are free to, to, to view. We do have our books, obviously. We have self-learning systems. And the best way to do that is just go to weimagineteams.com. It's all right there for everyone to see everything that we have to offer. And it's easy to engage with us. We do have a monthly newsletter that we put out for people and, and as well as podcasts and things like that which we're doing. So it's just a wonderful resource because we really made it for people to gather as much information and learn as much as they can without having to invest much. So reimagineteams.com is the place to go. So I've had Mark Samuel with me today on On the Brink. Now remember, my job is to get you off the brink. So if you're on the brink and you aren't quite sure what to do, reimagining teams might be exactly what you need. And a little help might help as well. Um, for us, our two books are selling extremely well. Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, and On the Brink, Trying to Get You Off the Brink so that you can soar. But they were both about change, which is what we do. We specialize in helping organizations change, and I'd love to help you. So if you want to see, feel, and think in new ways, or you're stuck or stalled, get a hold of us at info at andysimon.com, and we'll see how we can help. And Mark is here to help you as well. We do it in similar ways and different ways. But I love to share with you smart people who are going to give you insights so that you too can change. It's not easy. The brain hates you, hates me, but we're here to help. So on that note, Mark, thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Andy. This is really great. Thank you. And for all of you who came, as you always do, you know we're in the top 5% of global podcasts. Keep pushing them along. Share, because there's nothing better than sharing good stuff. And everybody is a good stuff person. Take care. Bye-bye now.